lot has happened since we last recorded, but uh, before we get into the games or the trade or anything else going on, I think that we just wanted to start by sending our well wishes to Rodion Amirov. Uh, it was announced last week that he was diagnosed with a brain tumor in January. Uh, he's begun treatment, and most importantly, he's staying incredibly positive based on everything we've seen from uh, him and his camp so far. But uh, Nick, I know that we were all just incredibly shocked by that news. Yeah, it was definitely a shock to read that. I mean, we all kind of knew that there was something going on with Amirov, and the way that Dubas addressed the situation a few weeks ago was was kind of ominous a little bit, just saying that they'd have an update on his medical condition in the coming weeks. And I don't know about you guys, but like when I saw the, the statement or, or the tweet releasing the statement and I clicked on it, I was going into it expecting to read something like, you know, Rodion's shoulder hasn't responded to treatment the way we had hoped. He's going to have another surgery, yada, yada, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was beyond shocking to to read that. I, I can't imagine how shocking it must have been for Rodion and his family. Um, yeah, it's just it's really sad and frightening news. And I mean, it really puts hockey into perspective. Uh, this is a young man's life. That's it's a lot more important than any kind of hockey related implications. And uh, uh, of course, we're, we're just wishing all the best for him moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. That was, you know, exactly what you just said. You kind of stop thinking about hockey and realize this is just a kid and it's super sad and to, just kind of shocking to, to, to read and, you know, hope, hope, uh, hopefully a, a quick recovery for him. And, um, but it is nice to see him, you know, stay so positive reading that article that Friedman put out rec- like just after the announcement was, was, uh, you know, the courage that the kid has. Um, it was, it was, it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, hopefully, um, again, everything goes well in the recovery and, and Leafs Nation very clearly uh, behind him in this one. Um, so let, let's talk about, um, I think that the, you know, the only other place that we can start here, right? Um, I'm looking at my notes and, and you know, each time we record, I, I write out the scores of all the Leafs games since the last time we recorded. <laughs> and, uh, you know, since it's been a while, the Leafs have played six games since our last episode, but... I'm just staring at this uh, 10 to 7 score line. And Keith, I wanted to start with you because you, you watched this on delay. Um, you were in the presence of East Coast Rock Royalty on Saturday night, right? Tell us tell us about your, your experience coming back to this. Yeah, um, that was, was pretty strange. I So I went to uh, a Joel Plaskett show in Fredericton last night, and it was really cool. It was like a acoustic kind of uh, intimate small room type of show in in an auditorium at an art center here. And just as a a quick aside, there was some idiot there that was just wasted and wouldn't shut up for like the entire show. And this is like a very much like a a listening room environment. And then uh, at one point, some guy got up and told him to shut the fuck up like super loud. And and it was in the middle of the song and Joel was just laughing the entire time while he was singing. So hilarious, (laughs) quick aside. But yeah, anyways, I got back. Watched. I probably turned the game on at like close to midnight, so I was pretty tired by the time the third period started. I was not. (laughs) I was like half dozing off in the you know right at the beginning of the third period, and then I just was like, "What is happening right now?" Just kind of sat up a little more straight as as the, the the third period went on. But I don't know what the fuck to think of that game, man. Like those goals that went in were like triple deflections that you know just weird shit i mean obviously we're going to talk with the goaltending and that it needs to be better but looking at that that game I, like i i don't know it's hard to really analyze the play of the goaltenders in that game as bad as it was but i'm not trying to make excuses for them but when it you know a floater from the point changes directions three times and that happens like three more times in the period it was just it was fucked it was wild that's like the craziest at least regular season hockey game like where it's not the it, implications or like the stakes of the game mm-hmm. that make it crazy like that's the craziest game i've ever seen uh, it, i kind of agreed with sheldon Keefe's assessment afterwards like to not let the the wildness of the game kind of cloud the way that they played i thought that they actually did play a, a pretty solid game no goaltender for either team showed up it, it was it was a dog's breakfast from all, all four, four of them, them. <laughs> but, but it was like a perfect storm of horrific goaltending and 
an abnormal amount of like deflected shots and weird bounces. And it was, it was just, it was pure insanity. Like we're joking in the group chat. Like there's no way that Keith would even believe us if we were like, yeah. if he didn't have us muted right now, <laughs> it was just insane. Like it, I was like you and with each goal that happened in that four minute span in the third period, I was sitting up a little more too. Like what in the fuck is happening here? <laughs> yeah. You know that, um, Shit's getting weird when you've got three goalie pulls in a game. <laughs> um, yep. Unbelievable night for the top line, obviously. Matthews, Bunting, Marner, uh, four-goal, six-point night for Mitch Marner. Man, um, I mean, they've been great, obviously, of late. Uh, nine points in the last three games for each of Matthews and Marner. Of course, six of Marner's came on Saturday, but... Uh, what a performance and it just, I mean, I can't imagine what kind of odds you would have gotten after the first two periods of that game, that the third was going to be the highest scoring (laughs) of the lot, right? Like that, that was, um, yeah, like you said, just atrocious goaltending on, on all fronts, but imagine scoring five goals in the third period and losing (sighs) rough rough position it's just like there's just so many crazy things from that game and, yeah, yeah. A, f- a friend of mine who is neither a leafs fan nor someone i'd expect to to follow such a thing texted me late in the third informing me that uh, 11 to 9 is an nhl scorigami and that, oh, that's shit. what they were hoping for but um but didn't get there unfortunately um I, I have a couple of questions, actually, that I'll, I'll sprinkle in throughout this episode from longtime listener Trevor. Uh, the first one being, uh, were you concerned when the Red Wings got into field goal range? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I made the joke to you, fellas, like how many NFL games had or were lower scoring than that this season. Like I know of at least one with the Bills and Jaguars. So like it's just remarkable, silly score. Yeah. Um, and another question that I think was, was posed to me, but I, because I have the reason to, I'm going to pose it to you. Um, favorite Joel Plaskett song. I, I have my answer. And, and since we know Keith was at the show on, on Saturday night, um, I figured we'd, we'd sprinkle it in there. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, natural disaster, I think is my, my choice. It's, it's very hard thing to pick though like yeah uh, truly hardly it is like asking to choose your favorite child except if you were um you know one of those freak families on tv that has like 40 children <laughs> it's almost like you'd have to pick a style of plasket music because he has like his like folk singer songwriter stuff he has the emergency band stuff with a lot more rock and roll and then he's got like some celtic stuff but anyways my favorite is probably off of la di da um song called lonely love which doesn't get played very often great choice i did get to see him play it once at uh, Acadia University's Convocation Hall and another similar kind of like intimate show. It was really cool. But yeah, that, that's at least at the moment because I was thinking about it last night. That one that one comes to mind. I got to go with Natural Disaster too, probably. So I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably not as big a plastic guy as you guys. I've been fortunate enough to, you know, see him perform multiple times and thoroughly enjoy it at each time. Just not someone that I, I really dive into like away from seeing him in concert but yeah i've I've loved seeing him play every time so um let's get back into the goaltending because it's been a big problem like campbell cannot stop a beach ball right now uh confidence appears to be shot i don't imagine it's going to improve after saturday's performance um and you know i i think that we've discussed this a little bit and and i think that the general sense is that you you ride it out with Campbell and Morazic, but are you starting to doubt that at all? Are you are you starting to think that maybe uh, goaltending could be an area of need ahead of the trade deadline? I, I don't. Th- I think what you have is is what you have right now. I I don't, I don't see them making a move. I like there's. It's if if we all sat here at the beginning of the year when he was putting up a nine forty save percentage and said we all know that this isn't the real Jack Campbell. It's it's the same thing right now. I know it's tough tough when you're right in the middle of an absolute dog shit stretch of games to think that he's going to rebound, especially I I, fairly or unfairly. Everybody kind of has that little 
you know, thing that's in the back of their head about his like, you know, just the the mental kind of stress he puts on himself, uh, or at least outwardly portrays that he puts on himself. That I think creeps in a little bit, you know, is this going to snowball? And is he going to, you know, be in his own head for the rest of the year? But that being said, like, he, he's yes, he's not a 944 Vesna quality. Nobody's a 944 goaltender. But he, you know, he's not a top flight top five goalie in the league. I think we all knew that. But it but like putting things into context in, is kind of important. Like we everybody rants and raves about Thatcher Demko and you know his ability to steal a game and in becoming what they have virtually the exact same numbers this year. No one's talking about Demko being you know are, are, is that a guy that you can win with? Like it, I understand that there there's more to it than that, but they're both they both have nine seventeen save percentages. They're both good goaltenders it's just that jack's currently you know mired in in what feels like something that you know he's never going to get out of but he will all goalies go through this yeah and like there's no doubt that jack is absolutely going through it right now but the one thing that i've seen a lot of that i kind of have to argue against is this stance that you know the hot streak's over this is what jack campbell is my argument to that would be that the sample size of him being one of the better goaltenders in the league is still larger than the sample size of that we're seeing in this current slump, right? Like it has been a, a really poor stretch the last month and a half or, or two months for him, but it, he still has that, you know, it, albeit limited track record of success in the last calendar year. So I, I think that you kind of still have to pin your hopes on him finding it again. Uh, it, it's a really tricky situation to navigate, um, especially when you have a guy like Mrazek who you brought in to kind of lessen some of that load. But he has not been it either. Like, how many good games has Peter Mrazek had? And I'm not going to fault him at all for the Detroit game. Like, as Sheldon Keefe said afterwards, like, Mrazek's probably mentally on the airplane coming out for that third seven, period yes. when you're up 7 2, yeah, right? Like, exactly. he, he, you're not going to hang any of that on him going in there. But. It, uh, even putting that aside, like he has had uh, a much poorer season than Campbell has, and I just think if you have to, if you have to put your money on one of them figuring it out, I my money's still on Jack. Yeah, I think that the if anything for me it would be like, can you look into a situation like I would look at the Blues where you've got Billy Huso, um, who is is unrestricted, uh, likely going to be looking for another opportunity. Um, Maybe they want kind of more of a platoon deal because Bennington sucks ass uh, and has shown it repeatedly. Um, maybe they want to take a, a risk on Mrazek and you can do a little swap Mrazek for Huso and you probably have to add, you know, a, a kind of a mid-level piece or two in, in to get that done. But um, that would probably be, if anything, the kind of move you'd look to make is like a goalie swap where you get a guy who, you know, maybe you have a little more faith in in the short term than than Marazic. Well, I, I like that in theory, but in reality, you're just you're taking a swing on another unknown, really. Like, Huso has been... Exactly. Been, and, you're, and you're giving up assets yeah. to do it, and that's not where you wanted to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Right? And when you consider like the the limited pool of assets that the the Leafs have to deal from right now, it just seems really hard to imagine them kind of going that route and investing trade chips in in that avenue. Yeah, you'd love to have a Dwayne Rollison kind of outcome, but uh, more likely you're going to have, you know, David Riddick uh, (laughs) 2.0. So we've been talking lots of trade the last few episodes, and we're going to probably keep doing it right up until the deadline. Uh, the Leafs made a move um, that I, I don't know if we thought they'd be able to do in season in, in shipping Nick Ritchie out to the Arizona Coyotes in return for a guy we actually talked about in the last podcast, uh, Ilya Lubushkin, who uh, comes back to the Leafs in exchange and uh, some other small pieces involved there there as well. Um, belated thoughts on on the the move and uh, thoughts, I guess, on on the the first few games from Labushkin so far. It seems like he's been a, a solid fit um, in the early going, at least. And obviously, you got Jake Muzzin now on on the shelf, and and maybe another defensive move coming. But um, this is kind of a a start to to the 
activity ahead of the trade deadline. Yeah, I think if you were to have polled Leafs fans on what type of player do you want them to pick up right now, they would have described Labushkin, whether they said his name or not. Like, you know, a physical, defensive first, you know, uh, guy who throws his body around, right shot defenseman that, you know, is can come in and, and you know, basically be better than Justin Hall. And, and, and it, I know we have kind of short you know, sample to work with or whatever. But I think, is you know, if you just want to look at expected goals, percentages and stuff like that, he's like at 60 something percent. So I, I, he, he's been great so far. I think he's, like I said, what everybody was kind of hoping for or, or thinking that they might need. I think now, you know, the, the bigger questions with, with Muzzin and stuff like that kind of highlight maybe another need. But at the time of the trade, I think that was kind of pretty much the perfect player um, at, at an acquisition cost that was not only palatable but almost favorable to to get you know you're getting an asset and and really not giving that much up but what is it a a, a third and next draft or, or a second in the 2025 or something like that so i don't want to say basically not- a, thir- a third in arizona or a second in houston take your pick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't want to say it's nothing but that far down the road who gives a shit no seriously though like that's a good point those assets aren't nothing but when you put it in the perspective of like Nick Robertson was a second round pick yeah. in in the 2019 draft. It, we're now in the in February 2022, and he, you know he's just getting another look at the NHL, and he you know he's far from carving out a full time role, if you ask me. But uh, like that's how far away that asset is from making an impact for either organization. You know, if Arizona decides to hold on until 2025 to make that second round pick, you're talking about a player who might impact their team in the year 2028 or something like that. So, I mean, when you're talking about what we were expecting in terms of a Richie trade, you nailed it, Cam. We didn't even think that this was something they were going to be able to accomplish in season, especially without retaining some of the salary or, you or, know, atta- or attaching a very good asset, not not an asset in 2025. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that they were able to get out from the entire contract while also bringing in a player that kind of addresses an area of need. Like, I don't know how you can describe that as anything other than a win. You know, I saw a lot of people saying this is a mistake that Dubas made in the first place, but it, he still took the step to rectify that mistake. Find so me I, a GM I, who doesn't make a mistake. Like, they're going to happen. Yeah. It's, it's how quickly yeah. can you get out from underneath them. And how efficiently can you get out from yeah. underneath them. And I think that's the big thing here is you, you kind of – you, you punted a mistake to someone else uh, at a very limited cost, and you also uh, addressed an area of need f- for your own team. And the other thing is that with the asset that they did attach being so far down the road, it doesn't really impact you know the, the pool of assets that they still have available to them mm-hmm. to make further additions ahead of the deadline, which is, is shouldn't you know be under that's appreciated that's to me one of the most impressive parts of the deal is they didn't use any other bullets really and and i think they saved 1.125 in cap space or something like that from the from the deal too so that's another part of another layer to why this was you know and and two and a half million dollars in cap space for next next year more importantly yeah so I'm just going to go ahead and say that we made this happen, and, and I, I'm not going to be brazen enough to say that Kyle Dubas listens to our podcast. <laughs> just most likely one of his high-ranking assistants almost certainly does. Um, we work cheap, guys, if you're listening. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like to breathe some life into some other names here, if we can. And, and now Jake Muzzin is, is on the shelf. He's on the LTIR. We don't necessarily have reason to believe it's going to be for the uh, the full – rest of the season uh kyle dubas has has denied that you know that is uh p- has been predetermined because obviously he does not want to uh, out and out uh, implicate himself as circumventing the cap so uh, big time jim uh, yeah, betting I, I, vibes calling out that he's gonna trade for everyone in the league <laughs> i i think at this point you know we've talked uh, I, i've been beating this drum for a while with muzzin where I, I just don't think that you can rely that he, he's going to be healthy and and a contributor um in the playoffs you you cannot kind of guarantee that at this point like it's almost the situation you found yourself in with frederick anderson uh last year right uh, it's not quite as important a position but um you know you, you just you can't have much faith right now that, that he, he's going to be performing at 100% Jake Muzzin capability by the playoffs. And w- with this situation now, I, I think that you got to do whatever you can to, to kind of 
um, insure yourself on the blue line. And um, so I want to talk about Jacob Chikrin again, but but first I'm going to read a tweet. Uh, Call me crazy, but the idea (laughs) of acquiring Ben Sherratt becomes a lot more enticing if you know Muzzin is on the shelf long term. February 22nd at underscore Nick Richard. Well, let me cut you off right there. This is the the second podcast in a row I have to ask the question, is everything okay? Okay. It's the same thing as like that night a few weeks ago I tweeted like that. I thought it was the, the best game that Jake Muzzin had had, you know, like. I wasn't saying he had a Norris caliber performance. The bar has been pretty damn low, right? So, like, it, it's kind of the same thing with the Sherratt thing. Like, I, obviously not a, my primary target or anything like that, but it was just kind of uh, a, a subtweet to the uh, the people calling for that kind of trade, I guess, or or arguing against it. That like it does become a little bit more of a a palatable idea if if you're missing that element from your lineup, like say what you want about Ben Sherratt, he's fucking mean and he's no fun to play against really. Um, I, I don't put a whole lot of stock into too many numbers that are coming out of Montreal this year, just because the entire team's a disaster. I know he plays a big role there that like a lot of that is on him, but I just think if you're looking to fill a specific role and the, the one that, Muzzin has played. I mean, it, it can't be much fucking worse than Muzzin's been this year, at least. Yeah, I think that's the one. Like when the rule book goes out the window in the playoffs, those are the types of players that kind of excel um, over what they would normally do in the regular season when they can't cross check everything that moves and hold everything and you know do what they're good at doing. But I would, I, I've said before, I like Ben Schrott's a guy that I would not hate being on the least blue line. <laughs> But Where were you what, the other day when I was getting shredded? Oh, I'm not jumping into that fire. <laughs> um, but I think the the issue that I think most people would take with that tweet and what I would have said if I did reply is that when you look at some of the rumored prices it's going to take to acquire these names at the deadline, it's insane. Yeah, I'm not like why if Jacob Chikrin is going to be a first, a prospect, and a good young player, why should fuck? Why is Ben Sherratt almost the same? Like it makes no sense. Yeah, and, and I qualified it after that. Like I absolutely have no interest in paying the reported asking price for a Ben Sherratt. It was more like as a if you don't make the move that you have as your primary target, like a guy like Jacob Chikrin isn't exactly going to be an easy thing to pull off. You know what I mean? Well, so like there'd be 10 other teams trying to get them too. Yeah. And if you have to pivot in another direction, I mean like it's, it's uh, I, I don't really know how to say it. It's not the worst consolation, I guess. And I'm not talking about returning the same kind of package as I'd be willing to give up for a guy like no. Shikern either. Right. So no. I, I think that I maybe should have worded the tweet a lot, <laughs> a lot better. But yeah, I, I kind of stand by what I said. I would, yeah. If, if if it came out tomorrow that the Leafs acquired Ben Sherratt for you know a third round pick and a prospect that I have barely heard of before, cool. Like that's yeah. fine. Yeah. But I'm not any no. It's like and any and of knowing these that they prices. took their swing at a, a, a bigger piece, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that's exactly it. It's the prohibitive cost, right? Like Labushkin is exactly what I wanted because you know he's not going to cost a whole lot to acquire. Um, you kind of gained by you know you had a little bit of addition by subtraction. In fact, when you actually went out and got him, and I think that the situational thing is is a good point that you make, Nick. Like I don't put a lot of stock into those numbers either with Sherrod, although I think that he's not generally as good as the you know the the kind of zeitgeist around him. I, I think that like you look at Labushkin, the same thing. Like it's you know he he had good defensive impact numbers at least, and he was on a dog shit team. So like everything else doesn't really matter. You kind of have to get him into your system, and, and you know that that matters. Like if if you're surrounding someone with better players and in a better system, that makes a big difference. Look at Mason Marchment, who had like nine goals, fifteen points in like seven game stretch or something there, like earlier this month. Like I mean, it's it is all about you know what situation you're in, and and yeah, I think that Sherratt would be a lot better in the Leafs Leaf situation. But I don't recall um, too many people being thrilled about the acquisition of Ron Hainsey when it happened, and he, he turned out to be a, a pretty 
pretty well liked player during his time here and he was uh, effective in his role given what he was being paid and you know what they ultimately gave up to have him in the organization so i i just i think it'd be something similar to that yeah i mean i think i think that you've got that in, in labushkin and now yeah, if, if muzzin is going to be on the shelf you you you're, you got to aim aim a little yeah. higher you got to swing for the fences a little bit here and and i think the chikrin is the guy man like i yeah. I, I mean if i'm dubis like i am salivating at just trying to bring that guy into my organization and kind of having the the opportunity now where you can you can make it happen put muzzin on the shelf for the rest of the the regular season and just figure it out after the playoffs and you, you've added an incredible piece to your organization and you can do it at what you know is seemingly like i mean it's it's a it's a heavy cost but you know not necessarily for that type of player like that that's that's a huge huge cog if you can add it yeah yeah these these like the, the rumored price like it could be so many different things right like if that if the young roster player is sandine and the prospect is nice it becomes a lot harder to to maybe deal with but I, I, even then like he's so good and so young and on such a good contract like these are the types of trades that you overpay for like if you are going to overpay and get into a bidding war and outbid a contending team for for the player it's it's you know, not to to beat a dead horse, but it's you know a Jacob Chicken you do that for, maybe not a Nick Felino. So it's yeah, I I I mean a first if it, you know if that if it's a first and Niemela and Lilligren or Robertson, I, I mean I do that yesterday if if that's what it what it would take. Yeah, getting back to tweets that I took a lot of heat for, like saying that <laughs> Toby Nimala isn't or shouldn't be untouchable. No. You know, a, a lot of people kind of showed up in the replies to that one. But like, if you're talking, uh, again, I'm not talking about shipping Toby Nimala out for Ben Sherratt, but if you're, if, if that's the piece that it takes to get a player like Jacob Chikrin into your organization, it, like Toby Nimala is an outstanding prospect, but we're still talking about a guy who is at least two, three years away from pushing for an NHL job. And so five like, to seven years away from maybe being as good as, as Jacob Chickering is today. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. You, you absolutely take the guy who is going to impact your roster immediately and you know in the playoffs this season if if it's a guy like that you know if if you're talking about a rental or if you're talking about you know even a guy who's got one more year of term then maybe that changes the calculus but Chikrin is a different you know type of player entirely from everyone else that's available as far as I'm concerned uh, we put out a poll there uh, on the weekend just uh, asking what um, you know what big name would you like to see the Leafs target? And Chikrin was the clear favorite over over Klingberg or uh, JT Miller or anyone else. And I think that JT Miller would be a, an excellent add as well. But Chikrin is just he's on another level. Yeah, and it's just a I think maybe a, a bit more of a, a need, especially if you know Muzzin is out you know for an extended period, which he will be out for an extended period of time. But are we talking? all year or is this even more <laughs> yeah well that, it kind of gets to what cam has been saying for the last few weeks is i think that instead of looking for a player that you can put alongside muzzin to help you know solidify that pairing it, it's time to be looking for a guy who can maybe secede muzzin in that role because it i don't think that it would be responsible to place your faith in him returning to form like the, the injuries have piled up in a big way um, you know, if you recall, the injury that forced him out of the playoff series against Montreal last year was a, a pretty serious groin tear. And, you know, when you're talking about a 33-year-old player who wasn't the most mobile guy to begin with, uh, you know, I think that that's something that could have played into his really poor start this season and it just kind of snowballed and things kind of compounded from there. But it, I just don't think that you can have faith that he's going to return to being, you know, the best defenseman on the team. Like you could have made the case that he was last season. Yeah. And it's not even just, you know, the, the Muzzin in the short term, like you said, it is, you know, the longer trend. It's the fact that TJ Brody is going to be 32 this summer. It's the fact that Travis Dermott hasn't quite, you know, developed into maybe the top four that you were hoping. Um, you know, it's just, I, I think it's the organizational churn. It's just, it's time to kind of try to add that piece. And, and right now that guy is out there. So you got to think that, that, that you know every um, rock is kind of being turned over to by Dubas yeah. to, to try to get this done. I, I would hope you don't you don't see these types of players come available. It still to me doesn't make any fucking sense that they're, yeah, that they're even trading them. But like twenty three year old, you know, top four conservatively probably a top pairing defenseman that's on an insanely good ticket for three more years after this year. 
that doesn't happen. (laughs) You got to, yeah, you got to, if he was a right-handed defenseman, I feel like we'd be talking about him a lot more in in this market. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's getting enough play here as, as like, target number one yeah he's probably target that's, number one yeah. for, for a lot of teams and, and that's going to be the most difficult thing for the Leafs and they, they could easily get outbid like they don't have they don't they might they might have some of the the kind of prospects that other teams have and but they don't have as many meaning it's harder to part with them that when you don't have like a whole stockpile of them so it's yeah I don't know it's it's yeah it, it'll be probably not that hard for some teams to outbid Toronto but hopefully they can they can find a way because he would be exactly what they need well dubas has been working on fostering that relationship with the coyotes the last couple Throwing weeks the, the uh the richie deal and then doing the the little side favor to take uh, carter hutton afterwards and pay his salary in the minors so that that the uh, the, the coyotes don't we'll have pay to the do entire it. tucson roadrunner salary let's just we'll just do the whole team and we'll <laughs> yeah, yeah buddy let's send him a rink <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as noted it's been a bit of a tough stretch for the leafs can't keep the puck out of the net a- anything else from the past few games you guys want to want to touch on um i thought it was a really good performance against uh, minnesota obviously nick robertson got in against detroit as well so uh, there's a, a few storylines of late i thought robertson looked really good in that like someone I made the comment on Twitter like don't try to analyze this game it's a circus just enjoy it and someone replied like the one thing I'm taking from this game is that Nick Robertson looked good and I have to agree with that I thought that he had a really solid showing I think that you could probably make the case that was his his best showing in an NHL game to this point thought he was dangerous he created a couple of chances um, a couple of good defensive plays as well uh, I, I really thought that the the comment that Dubas had about Robertson uh, a couple weeks ago was was interesting they talked about how last year kind of being yo-yoed between the the taxi squad and the ahl it, it wasn't good for helping robertson to get into a groove and kind of sustain momentum and it basically alluded to that being something they didn't want to do with him moving forward so the, the timing of the call-ups really interesting uh you know, they, they brought him up as a flu bugs kind of running through the room. There was a, a chance to get him in the lineup. But the, the that quote from Dubas kind of makes you wonder if they're going to try and give him a, a real run of games here to see what they've got in him. Um, Dubas has been raving about his play at the AHL level the last couple of weeks. I think he's looked pretty good myself. Um, not exactly game-breaking or anything like that, but I also think he's the kind of player that probably excels with more talent around him um, rather than you know, plugging it around in the, in the minors. But yeah, I think he's a player that can kind of change the calculus for the Leafs in the next couple of weeks too. And that might be a, a good reason to try and get a look at him. Things have kind of stagnated on that second line uh, with Tavares and Nylander. There really hasn't been a whole lot of scoring coming from, you know, anywhere beyond the first line. Uh, I think that they're probably going to give him this run of games and see if he can, lock down a spot and maybe answer one of those questions and mitigate the need to add another forward ahead of the deadline. I think that would, it would be a huge boon for the Leafs if Robertson was able to come in and pop with this opportunity and just kind of take that yeah, spot. And, and I, just to kind of even further fan the, uh, like the trade speculation flames, like there's been a lot of movement around the lineup right now. And it feels like kind of auditions for guys or, or or even just like, you know, could we make this work? Like yeah. Keith trying to figure some stuff out. But if you look at like Kasha and Kerfoot flipping and the whole kind of new look defensive pairs that they started with last night with Riley and Lilligren and Brody and Hall, like it, it, it feels like it's like, okay, we got to see what we get here because there could be some guys coming in and coming out. Um, it definitely feels like things are percolating yeah. and that there's there's going to be something going down in the in the near future here. But uh, again, that's all going to be dependent on the, the Jake Muzzin thing. Like, it, obviously, Dubas is going to come out and say that we're not operating as if we have $7 million in cap space. But, you know, they could. <laughs> the they closer could. we get to the deadline, it, it, yeah. And it, and that, that makes a... a a world of difference to say the least if that's the kind of space they have to operate with yeah and it's going to be a good stretch for for robertson to get his feet wet here uh as well um i'm just curious about what they do with him in the lineup if you know now that or once this stomach bug passes like are they sitting engvall are they sitting simmons or are they just you know going to send robertson back down they give him the one game 
I, I, I'm really curious to see what goes on here. Yeah, um, I, I, I would hope to see him get a little a little run here with kind of the upcoming schedule, which is also a good opportunity for Matthews to just lock down the heart if it's not already done. Uh, yeah. After Washington on Monday night, uh, the Leafs have Buffalo, Vancouver, Columbus, Seattle, Arizona, Buffalo again, Dallas. Um, so make some hay. Yeah. Good stretch to put some points on the board. Yeah. But I, I think that just going back to that Minnesota game for a minute, Cam, like I, I think that kind of exemplified Matthew's heart candidacy in a nutshell, the way that he was able to take over that game. Like on both sides of the puck, he made one mistake that ended up in the back of the Leafs net and literally immediately took it upon himself to erase that mistake with an absolute game-breaking goal that just not too many guys can do what he did on that goal like you give him the smallest amount of space and he's he's ripping it home and he was just outstanding defensively like what six takeaways we've been beating the drum for a while I I know some people are kind of just hopping on the train now but this isn't new for Austin Matthews this is the way that he's played for a couple of years now he's been dominant on both sides of the puck it's just it's really exciting to see that kind of getting a little more national recognition. And right now, I I, I don't know if there's a, a bigger favorite to take home the Hart Trophy the way that he's playing. Yeah, um, he, he's just he's kept it rolling as other guys have kind of gone through their slumps like McDavid and Dreisaitl, right? Like it's it's just it's been full speed ahead for Matthews and and those guys don't impact the game nearly as much away from the puck as Matthews does no absolutely not yeah that still feels like one of those things you're you're not like allowed to say right with the McDavid just like you know he he is the best player on the planet and then it's you know a a big gap between him and the next best and I, I think at this point it's inarguable that you know Matthews is that next guy and I don't think the gap's nearly as big as it used to be, or at least people thought it was. And it is because of that 200-foot game aspect. And I get that that's not as easy to quantify. And when you look at, you know, just point totals and stuff like that, it's, you know, McDavid's usually got a pretty sizable lead. Although, as you mentioned before, Nick, that's that's a lot of its power play. A lot of that's a power B, play. <laughs> that's even shrinking. Like, it's not, you know, I mean, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the gap between them you know, 30 games ago and the gap now is a lot smaller. So I think Matthews is like seven points back of the scoring lead. He's in fourth place. He's and played three or four everyone, fewer games, right? Yeah, everyone ahead of him has played a, a few more games than he has. So when you're talking about that level of production and, you know, that swing in games played, like I, I haven't looked at the exact points per game numbers, but they've got to be pretty damn close. Yeah, and then you see if you want to start, you know, going into a little deeper and starting to look at some of their defensive impacts, it's not even close. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want to be the the, the uh, a sound bite about being better than him being better than McDavid or whatever, but he's, he's having a better he's season. He's getting pretty damn close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's the heart winner yeah. with a bullet for me right now. No doubt about it. Well, it was like a, a couple of days ago, he was plus 750 to, to win the heart. I slapped 20 on that. And, you know, a couple of days later, he's plus 350 and they're trying to pay me out for it. So I think that just kind of speaks to the the steam that he's building towards that award. Yeah. Yeah. Been a lot of fun to watch. Oh baby. It has been a lot of fun to watch, man. That top line is just ridiculous. Like we don't talk about Michael bunting enough either. I know that we, we've talked about him a lot, but like, Holy shit, man, this guy's making 950 K and he's and next year too. And next year too. And he's a very important piece of the best line in hockey. Like he's on pace for like 63 points making 950k like he has been an absolute home run perfect fit with Matthews and Mariner it's just you know a a lot of things haven't exactly gone perfectly for Dubas in his time here he's had some bad luck but he definitely hit on this signing and you know most of his other moves in the offseason as well Nick Ritchie notwithstanding yeah it's impressive how quickly he's erased any question about who who should who should be the top line left winger with those two yeah and you know we've lamented the loss of Zach Hyman you know pretty heavily in the lead up to it and afterwards but Bunting's made that pretty much a non-factor, like and th- and then some. <laughs> the co- the common sense sentiment when when you know it became clear that Hyman was going to walk was like, yeah, you don't you know you don't sign the twenty seven year old Zach Hyman, you go out, you find the next Zach Hyman, right? And I think that that was met with like, oh yeah, you know that's fucking easier said than done, but. 
I mean, that's exactly what they did. I mean, I, I think he might have, well, I think he definitely has better hands than Hyman. He might not be as kind of like dogged on the forecheck and stuff like that, but it's still very good. I mean, and then overall impact, he's, I don't, you know, Hyman hasn't had a season like this with, with those two guys. For all the kind of talk of like, oh, you know, it's Matthews and Marner, anybody could do that. Well, the other guys that have played with them <laughs> yeah, haven't done Yeah, we've seen this. enough guys that weren't able to do it with those two. Nick yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing about bunting, I mean, like there are differentiating factors between the way that he plays the game in comparison to Hyman. But like one of the biggest things is like bunting's way more of a pest. And, and like yeah. th- that's important on this team because we, we don't really have a whole lot of that. And especially like for a guy who's playing that high in the lineup to – to drive other teams as crazy as he does night in and night out. And just, you know, he brings that every time out there. Like it's, he's been a a fantastic addition to this team. I'm I'm already thinking about, you know, ways that they're going to be able to retain him after next year, but that's a little far down the road, but that's just the kind of impact that he's made so far. Yeah. I I argue that he is an even better fit with them than Hyman. Like you said, the way that he is a pest and obviously, as you said, better hands, but also just like a better playmaker. He just sees the ice a lot better than, than Hyman ever. Did and uh, yeah, Hyman's he, a lot more straight lines up and down, exactly kind of thing. Yeah, Bunting pulled off the Mariner to breakaway <laughs> yeah. assist to set up Mariner <laughs> for his fourth. I, I loved Mitch's reaction to that. He was he was he was just over the moon that Bunting you know used his move to set him up there. Like I love Zach Hyman, nothing against him, but I mean we, we've just seen Michael Bunting do a lot of things that we didn't see Zach Hyman do. Yeah, um, we've been pretty positive here, and it has been one of the one of the tough stretches of, of the season for the Leafs so should we should we talk about the captain <sighs> uh, you know if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all <laughs> uh, yeah and I mean if you want to try to take the optimistic route on this I think probably it's a similar conversation that we had about Campbell you know to an extent where it's like you know he uh, all things said, he, he still has like, you know, 49, 48 points in 51 games. I know it's a tough stretch. He's he's not – I don't think all of a sudden a light switch went off and he can't play hockey anymore. Like it's it's a rough stretch. He'll be back. But it is – it's kind of tough to watch right now because there's large stretches of the game where I don't even really even notice that he's on the ice and he's not the type of guy both, you know, in just the way that he plays and, and how he has played for the least but also when you – factor and he makes 11 million dollars and he's captain not exactly what you want no and i i think like johnny's gone through slumps like this in the past and maybe during those stretches he's had one fall for him or bounce in or something like that and that just hasn't been the case in this recent slump and you know he really has looked invisible almost every night through this stretch here uh, I, I thought that you know him and Nylander created a little bit against the Wild in that that really solid game from the team, uh, but other than that, he really he really hasn't been generating much of anything at all. Like you said, Keith, you don't really even notice him out there a lot of the time unless that line's being hemmed in the defensive zone, and it, it's definitely becoming a, a point of concern. I just don't really know what you can do about it beyond trying to to move some pieces around as they've done, you know, recently putting Kasha up there instead of Kerfoot. Um, I, I just think they're going to have to try to continue to experiment there. And I'm going to have to stop continuing to bet on Tavares to score every night because, you know, <laughs> as soon as you don't, he's going to pop. Yeah. Out. Well, <laughs> I've been kind of using the reverse logic thinking that, you know, he's, he's beyond due and you know, I should be good for a payout one of these times, but maybe I, I take the pressure off old Johnny and he'll bury one here. Well, and I think he, he had what, like he, there was like a four game stretch where he had two shots on goal or something like that. Yeah. And then he, I think he had five or six shots against Columbus. So I think, that was when I thought the dam was going to break, and and it, it, I think there was some you know, Barube for whatever fucking reason decided to play out of his mind that night, and um, that I think he got stopped a couple times, one timers in the slot and stuff like that. So just stop goals that you're used to seeing him score. Yeah. So he he had his chances in that game, like you said, that line played a lot better against the Wild, and he had a point in that game too. So I don't know, man. I just think for a guy like him, he's like you said, he's been through this before. He's just got to kind of keep his head down and not, you know, squeeze the stick too hard. It's not his first slump. He'll break out You can out of see it. the frustration oh, now. for sure. Yeah. Like, and I don't think that him and Nylander have looked totally in sync for a while now. It's, it's uh, yeah, I don't know. It's concerning for sure, but I just don't really know what you can do about it when you're talking about, you know, two guys that are 
such or that are entrenched as such key pieces of the lineup. Okay, Robertson up there. Yeah, uh, Nick, you you, you mentioned uh, the betting angle, um, so allow me to bitch for a moment. <laughs> I, I sprinkled you know a couple of bucks on each of three different leaves to to put up three plus points against the Red Wings. Okay. Uh, <laughs> And I felt good when William Nylander scored very early. He was one of them. Uh, John Tavares was the other. Morgan Riley was the third. And that first Nylander goal ended up being the only point any of the three of them got. So, um, <laughs> In a 10-goal game. Rough rough night. Um, on the flip side, Ilya Labushkin was not on the ice for a goal against. I know we, we didn't really place much of that on the, the defense anyway, but but still noteworthy. Yeah. Um, so as we mentioned, been a while since we've recorded. I think that our last episode may be released on the day of the Canada-USA Women's Gold Medal Hockey Final at uh, the Beijing Olympics. Canada won 3-2. Marie-Philippe Poulin continues to... Um, I, I don't even know what's above God status at this point because <laughs> she's no, there. Just, yeah, incredible. Unbelievable game. Y- you look up clutch in the dictionary and, you know, her picture's there. Kind of the perfect game from like a... Uh, cardiovascular perspective, right? Like (laughs) it's always tight, but it wasn't really like, you know, the U S scored late to make it three, two, but like there was no like 10 minute stretch of panic. Like there always seems to be against the U S where, where you're just, you're convinced that they're going to lose. And of course in 2018, they did lose. And, and oftentimes Canada, you know, comes out on top in those situations. And almost every time it's because Marie Philippe Poulin has, has scored a couple of goals and, and sent it to overtime or whatever she's done. But um, th- this one just felt like Canada was in control. We talked it up uh, in that last pod right before the, the, the game. I said they've got it in the bag. They did dominant performance just just start to finish by the uh, the Canadian women. Yeah, then it was like I was filled with so much pride watching them receive their gold medals and, you know, each girl putting the the medal around the, the next one's neck. Like, I, I don't know, man. It just, it, it's a different thing than watching a, a team celebrate a Stanley Cup or something like that. You just, you know that this is their everything and they, they it's make the fact so, they had to wait every four years for it. Too. Yeah. Like it's, and and all this, all the sacrifices that they make to, to play at that level and to just to be maintain the capability to perform at that level every four years when you know a lot of these women have full-time jobs and things like that you know there's no established professional league for a lot of them it's it's just remarkable to watch them go out there and have that kind of success and yeah just I don't really know what to say except that I was filled with so much pride watching them celebrate and perhaps like more than I have been for any other international victory and they still continue to pump out elite celebration content after a big win. <laughs> yeah. Team Nova Scotia, baby. Jill Saulnier, Blair Turnbull, uh, head coach Troy Ryan, uh, assistant coach Corey Chevry, and they had they had some other Nova Scotians on staff as well, I believe. So, um, yeah, it was uh, such a fun ride. I was watching actually some of the PWHPA uh, Dream Gap Tour was on um, Sportsnet uh, Sunday afternoon so I, I was tuning in for uh some of that uh so you can continue to support and this is always an important time like right after the olympics whether it's yeah you know, it looks like they're trying to capitalize on it too exactly right? women's basketball in the summer olympics women's hockey in the you know the winter olympics um it's it's kind of the time that the interest is is at its peak and um yeah it, it, it was as it really should be that today. was awesome hockey man oh <laughs> like, yeah and one other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up here, um, just coming to the end of Black History Month, um, and I don't know if you guys got a chance to to watch any of the content that the Leafs have been producing. Um, I, I'm really excited to watch the the conversation with uh, Mark Frazier. He, uh, I don't know if you guys watched that clip. Yeah, um, I haven't got to that yet. I, I watched the I watched the entire thing, like the three course conversation with yeah. uh, Frazier and it was Spets and Simmons and Matthews and Campbell, and it, it was really it was like I thought Mark Frazier was cool as hell when he played for the Leafs, like. That dude's so cool. He yeah. and he like he guided that entire episode so well and just facilitated the conversation. It was it was a really enjoyable watch. I definitely recommend checking it out. I'm excited to watch it. I, I um 
I, I only watched that kind of short promo clip and I was kind of struck by like how um, engaging he was right like Mark Frazier oh, super I, engaging yeah I was I was excited to watch it's not often that like there's going to be a like a hockey centered piece of you know media that I'm going to be thrilled to consume because of how much uh, you know uh, enthusiasm and and um, it's it seemed like it was uh, a, a really fun fun chat it's a cool peek at Spezza too I think you you, you often like Spets is known as strictly this you know major hockey geek lives and breathes hockey 24 7 and that's all that he ever talks about but it it was really cool to kind of see him get engaged in that conversation and and some of the thoughts that he was able to share with the group just kind of gave some more insight just into how important i think that he is to this team off the ice and just you know how much he means to the the galvanization of the group Side note, uh, did you see any of these uh, sonnet insurance commercials with Spezza? <laughs> yeah, man, the, there's the, all kinds. Like, Willie's got one, Spezza's got one. I've seen those. I hadn't Mitch. seen the Spezza ones until recently, but uh, weird stuff going on there. Uh, in any case, uh, like I said, Black History Month, um, uh, the Leafs also posted a clip about uh, the Colored Hockey League of the Maritimes, which is um, something that we, I think we had a conversation about this last year in an episode yeah. that never actually got aired. So um, I, what I will say about this is I, I actually got a book on the Colored Hockey League of the Maritimes that I, I just started reading this week that I'm I'm really excited to dig into uh, Black Ice by uh, George and Daryl Fosty and um, recommend picking that one up. It's kind of you know some of the backstory of of the uh, Colored Hockey League of the Maritimes. So I'm excited to dig into that. And I actually I went to the bookstore, fellas, on the weekend. And I got uh, Willie O'Ree's book as well, so I'm I'm excited to, to nice. get into that one. So um, I I don't know when I'm going to I, I'm I'm the worst reader in the world. Like I'm I'm the worst. I have Bet no attention not. span. <laughs> <laughs> I have no attention span. Um, but uh, I'm I'm excited to get into those. So yeah, no, I I I'm really bad at picking up a book and really liking it, reading it one night, and being like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is going to be the one that gets me back into it and then I never touch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it helps to actually want to know about, you know, the content and not just like the subject matter, following yeah, along absolutely. with some story that you don't know if it's going anywhere. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to get into those. Um, all right. So as we mentioned, uh, capitals on Monday night and then, uh, some minnows after that. So hopefully, um, when we, chat with you next um, Austin Matthews is well on his way to the top of the league scoring race and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll continue to talk some trade and maybe maybe some mailbag questions for our next episode as well you can you can send us a tweet if you've got a, any questions specifically trade related or anything else uh, uh, goalie related whatever else you might want to talk about uh, at lamenting Leafs is where you can follow us and, and tweet us your questions and uh, we will chat again soon. Mm-hmm.